Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we talk with Bob Berg, author of Endless Referrals and with John David Mann, the Go-Giver series of management parables. Bob is a popular speaker who has shared the stage with business leaders, broadcast personalities, and even a former U.S. president. In this conversation, we dig into the philosophy of the go-giver and that if you want more success and referrals, it's all about how much you give. We talk about how a go-getter is not the opposite of a go-giver and what is. We cover some of the five laws of stratospheric success. We address how one of the secrets of influence is listening, but maybe in a different way than you and other advisors do with clients currently. We talk about how putting your client's interests first is critically important and is also a broader idea than just the fiduciary standard. And listen through to the end where we talk about how to plant seeds of referrals in all of your conversations. This is truly one of those interviews I wish could have gone on a lot longer, but what we cover is really interesting, valuable, and it gives us an opportunity to cover more than just the practical tips, but to dig down into the philosophy and understand a little bit more about why it works. I hope you'll enjoy it as much as Julie and I did. And so with that, let's get right on to our conversation with Bob Berg. So Bob Berg, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you both, Steve and Julie. It's just a, a real honor and a pleasure. Great. Well, you know, we're very excited to talk with you today because I've been going through your books and there's a lot of really good stuff in there. We're never going to be able to fit it, fit it, fit it in a half an hour. But um, but can you give us a little background? You know, the um, you started with Endless Referrals mm -hmm. and then you went on to the whole Go-Giver go series of books, which uh, has taken off like crazy. Can you tell us a little bit about the premise and, and where that idea came from? Yeah, well, the book Endless Referrals was really, it was a how-to book for people, entrepreneurs and sales professionals who, you know, they, they knew they had a great product or service. They knew it brought wonderful value to, to uh, those they served, but they didn't feel comfortable necessarily in the business development process, going out, meeting people, doing so in a way in which they felt comfortable and in which the other person would feel comfortable. So it was really sure. a, a how-to <laughs> book on how to develop relationships that, uh, would cause people to want to do business with them and refer them to others. My the, the 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 underlying premise of that book was simply all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. That's what it was about. Now, while and this was uh, the first uh, uh, edition of that book came out back in the '90s, and I'd always enjoyed reading parables. Uh, and you know, there because there's stories, you know, stories connect with people on sure, our yeah, exactly. heart level, yeah. right? And we take in yep, the information yep. and we can, and I thought, how could we take, and, and this is over the course of 10 years, 15 yeah, years, yeah, how yeah. could we take the basic premise of, of endless referrals and put it into a parable? And I thought, well, so what then is the, the, the major characteristic of a person who's able to develop these no like, and trust relationships quickly and sustainably? And the answer is they're always giving. They're giving value to others. They're always looking for ways to bring value to others. So we kind of came up with that, the title, The Go-Giver. 
which is not, by the way, the opposite of a go-getter. We love go-getters because go-getters take action, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would say the opposite of a go-giver is a go-taker. And that oh, there you go. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. They feel entitled, right, to take, take, take without having added value to the process, the person, the situation. So uh, so I asked John David Mann, who I knew from, he was the um, editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for, and very few people at that time knew John. Now, I mean, he's the the, the ghostwriter and co-author of choice for lots of, for, for agents and publishers and other writers and so forth. Back then, few people knew him, but fortunately I did. And I knew of his brilliance and I asked him. And when I say asked, I mean, I pleaded with him. To, uh, to be the, that sounds uh, like me and Julie. Yeah, right, hey. exactly. <laughs> Julie, please help me with this. <laughs> and to be the lead writer and storyteller. And fortunately, he did. And so the main premise of the go-giver is simply this, that shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing value to others is not only a more pleasant way of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. And and so it's because it, it's you mentioned right at the beginning that part of the issue is that um, the, the people you worked with didn't feel comfortable. I mean, do you find that when you shift your mindset to this whole idea of giving it it almost at the same time helps you be more comfortable as well as making it more pleasant for the other person. It sounds like it's a twofer. Well, it does. And, you know, you think about it when you're in the even in the prospecting process, um, have, you know, if you've ever been in a conversation with someone who let you do practically all the talking, mm-hmm. didn't you kind of come away from that conversation saying to yourself, wow, what a fascinating conversation. Exactly. And, you know, it's the old thing when I and I often will, will tell people uh, that, you know, when you're on the phone prospecting and or even just having a conversation or having the next phase of that, pro- you know, have you ever noticed no one hangs up the phone on you while they are talking? <laughs> and so, you know, all of this comes from focusing on that other person. You know, when you think about it, what is, you know, what is selling? Selling is is really by definition, it's discovering what the other person wants, needs, or desires and helping them to get it. And, you know, whether you're in the actual selling the presentation process or just in the initial stages where you've just met someone and you can take your focus off yourself and place it on them by asking questions that I call feel-good questions, questions which simply make this person feel comfortable, feel good about themselves and good about you. That's when, you know, we really are able to step that up to another level. Well, and one of the things that I really like about that that whole point, Bob, is that um, you know so many of our listeners, financial advisors, you know, sort of have this aversion to selling, and 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 what they have an aversion to is bad selling, and you know, the, but but just lumping exactly. it all under that term, you know, it it prevents them from understanding what what real professional selling is about, which is helping people solve their problems. And so I, 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 I love this. I love this approach to it. Well, and I love that you say that because, you know, so many people have a misperception about selling. They think it's, it's trying to convince someone to buy right. or invest right. in something they don't want or need. That's not selling. That's being a con artist that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with, with, with selling. And so what you said is perfect. It's not that they don't like the idea of selling. They don't like the idea of what they think selling is. And when you think about it, the old English root of the word sell, which was selan, meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally 
giving. Now, someone might say, well, wait a second, Berg, isn't that just semantics? You know, it's not. Well, think about it. Let's say you have a, a prospective uh, uh, client in, in front of you, okay? And you're in the selling process. What exactly are you giving them? I suggest you're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and ultimately extraordinary value. So yes, you are selling financial services and that's fine. That is what you're doing, but just look at what you're doing as selling as something very righteous. You're helping this person to grow their wealth in the way that they want to, that they would not be able to do without you. And I think we, we there's an interesting process and I don't think it's um, exclusive to this industry by any stretch where we spend, you know, financial advisors spend an inordinate amount of time becoming expert. You know, they mm -hmm. are educated. They go deep on technical expertise. And, and as a result of that effort, sometimes we focus a lot on why we might be the best choice, right? We've got the designations. We've got the credentials. We've got the experience. And yet, I wonder, and, and from your perspective, can that get in the way of that sales process of the giving process if we're focused on why we're the best choice. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you really, Julie, hit that right on the head because what happens is we know, and when I say we, I mean, I'm talking about the financial advisor, knows that they have done a fantastic job in learning their craft. I mean, they study it and they work on, it. as you said, they get the designations they've done there. And it's it's sort of like, well, it should be people just understand this. <laughs> right. But people should be impressed. Right. right. But, the, but the potential client doesn't know. And let's face it, if the, if the potential client is not able to distinguish you from any of your competitors, well, it's always going to come down to to what who has the lowest fee or or you know what however depending upon whether they're fee based or what have you. But who it's going to come down to the cost of them doing business. Um, and and again, it's not their fault. So what it is is this: it's it's not that that they have to understand our value. It the responsibility is on us to be able to effectively communicate our value. Now the paradox is that's not going to happen because you flash your designations in front of them and tell you how much you know. It's going to be from the way you are able to focus on them and ask the appropriate questions so that they understand that you understand them. Right. So, well, maybe that's probably a good segue then into what does work. I mean, can you, um, I'd love to go deep on this, but can you just start maybe with a quick review of the five laws that, that you and John share in the Go-Giver series? And it is a series. How many are there in that series, by the way? There are, there are four in the series. Okay. There are three parables. Okay. Uh, and then there's one that's more of a, uh, it's not exactly a how-to, it's more of an application of the first Okay. One. And we start yeah. still with these five laws. Is that correct? Right. That kind of runs throughout. Oh, oh, sure. Uh, they're, you know, they're called different things depending mm -hmm. upon whether it's the go-giver leader, go-giver influencer, but you know what? They, they all still come down to the basic five laws of success from the original go-giver. And can... And, uh, though, sure. Uh, those are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. And the law of value simply says that your true worth in the business sense, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value 
then you take in payment. Now, the, you know, you first hear that, that sounds sort of counterintuitive because it sounds like, um, uh, like a recipe for bankruptcy. <laughs> You know, you have more. You're missing the economic argument, Bob. You're right. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two-shoe stuff, yeah. but it's not going to make sense. No. So to understand this, we simply have to understand the difference between price and value. Uh, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, investment, what have you, that would bring more, uh, that is, is brings so much in, in worth or value to another human being that they will willingly exchange their, their money or their commitment for it or their energy or whatever for this. Uh, and in such a way that they feel great about it, while the advisor, of course, makes a very, very healthy profit. So I mean, on a very basic level, uh, let's say, you know, an advisor is working with a, a family on, uh, uh, you know, on their their future ne nest egg, helping them create and manage uh, uh, lots of financial growth and doing so in a way that this other person feels, um, you know, very safe and very secure, you know, and not because that's their needs, that's their their want. And so by the very nature of doing that, just intrinsically by the very nature of what you're providing as an advisor, you're giving them much more in value than what you're taking in payment. So there, and, and this by the way, is the essence of a free market exchange. Uh, when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else. They do so on their own volition. And that is that there are always two profits the buyer profits and the seller profits because each of them come away better off after the transaction than they were before the transaction. Well, and you know, I, I think this is really this is really uh, important and insightful because you know, in in the Go Giver, you talk about the philosophy being totally congruent with human nature, and 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 Julie and I talk a lot about the idea that people give referrals, for example, uh, because they benefit from it. You know, because you know, what, because of what they get out of it. But can you expand on that just a little bit? Because I think it's worth digging into. Sure. And so there are really two sources for, uh, for, for this. One is one we're all familiar with, and that is How to Win Friends and Influence People, a great book by Dale Carnegie, right? And what I believe was his underlying premise, and what this is really what made a difference for me when I first read it, is where he says, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And if we don't understand that, then we're really operating from behind the eight ball, okay? That we have to understand they're doing it for their reasons. Now we say, okay, so what is their reasons? Well, while everybody has in their own individual reasons, there's also an underlying aspect of this, which I learned from a great mentor of mine whose name was Harry Brown. Uh, and what Harry said is that you know, there are three basic, it's sort of a three-in-one principle in terms of, of human nature and why people will do a certain thing. And, and, and here are the three. One is everyone seeks happiness, okay? Ultimately, everyone seeks happiness. This is human nature. Everyone seeks happiness. Now, we're defining happiness here, according to the dictionary, really, as the mental feeling of well-being. Ultimately, human nature dictates that we consciously or unconsciously move toward 
achieving happiness, that mental feeling of well-being. Every action we take is based on uh, the fact that we believe it will bring us closer to happiness, which doesn't mean it always happens that way. People, you know, make mistakes, but every act is aimed at bringing happiness. Now, number two is that happiness is relative. We all understand, people understand happiness differently. Uh, thus, we place different values on different things. What would make one person very happy, what would bring them happiness, might make another person totally miserable or have absolutely no, uh, uh, you know, no effect at all. Okay, so we we all seek happiness. Happiness is relative. But then three, resources are limited. And now this is not to to uh, imply a lack mentality. I mean, we live in an abundant universe. But when it comes to individuals, we all have a limited amount of time, right, of, of energy, of money, of knowledge, of what have you. Thus, we must constantly make choices. So Harry summed it up by saying that every decision you ask a prospect to make is always going to be based ultimately on whether they believe it will move them closer to happiness based on how they understand happiness and based on the limited choices they believe they have. And when you, when you truly understand this, now you can approach every prospect from an entirely different, you know, frame or premise, understanding what's ultimately going to move them. Hmm. And, yeah, and and that's it, it. It's also related to something else that you say in uh, the the most recent Go 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 Giver book I read was the Influencer, and you yeah. talk about one of the five secrets is to listen, and you know financial advisors think of themselves as good listeners because we ask people what their goals are and ask them what they want to get out of life and that kind of stuff. But this is, you know, this is a little more than that, you know, and it relates to what Harry Brown was saying about achieving uh, happiness, about, you know, stepping into the other person's shoes and, and listening to that. Um, how, how would you encourage financial advisors to expand on that whole idea of listening to incorporate what you were just talking about? Well, you know, it, it What's interesting about that is, you know, we think, well, step into the other person's shoes. Isn't that just, you know, I mean, that's pretty easy to do, right? Well, then you think about it and you realize that most of us have different size feet. <laughs> so maybe it's not so easy. Literally, we can't step into the other person's shoes. Figuratively, we can't step into their heads because we're not them and we don't know what they're thinking. And we all come from our own beliefs, our own belief system based on upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, uh, you know, everything we touch, taste, hear, so all our experiences. But here's the thing. As human beings, we, we believe that everyone else sees the world basically the same way we do. I mean, that makes intuitive sense, right? How could it be any different? It's all we know. And so, so yes, you may be trained to ask certain questions, knowing that certain people kind of want different things, but how deep do we really go with that before we think now we know what this person wants or what they're thinking? So what one of the mentors in that, in the uh, Go-Giver Influencer tells their protege is, you know, listen, not just with your ears. That's kind of the surface listening that most of us do. That's listening, but it's really listening in order to speak. 
it's it's giving them their two cents so that we can then come in and give them our 10 cents, okay? So don't just listen with your ears. Listen with your eyes. Listen with your posture. Listen, he said, with the back of your neck. <laughs> in other words, put your entire being into listening this to this person in yeah. order to really understand where they're coming from. And when you do that, now you're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game because now you really have put your per yourself in that person's shoes. But one more thing about this, and here's when you do this, when you do this, this other person feels heard. They feel listened to. They feel understood. And when you're making really an investment with a financial advisor, you've got to know that this person, this advisor really understands you. Yeah. It's, yep. Yeah, it's interesting because I think sometimes we, when we talk, you're right, it's about how deep we go in putting ourselves in the, the other person's shoes because to some extent mm -hmm. it could be, well, how are they feeling right now? That could be putting yourself in their shoes, but right now doesn't take in the context of what happened before you, you know, it's not how they feel about mm -hmm. you. <laughs> it's, it's what brought them there and, and all of those right. other things. So I, I love this idea of just sort of expanding the idea of what it means to put yourself in, in your client's shoes. And, and I think that would influence a lot of the relationship, frankly, not just uh, whether they'll want to work with you. Right. Exactly. Um, so have, yeah. did we get through like the, the, we got the hit list of the five. No. Yeah. We just, I, I just, we talked about the law of value a yeah. little bit. And, and one thing I was going to say was this, you know, we talked about just the intrinsic value you provide, which is, you know, that you're, you're giving them more in value than what you take in payment. But, you know, all your competitors are basically doing that too. Again, that's just intrinsic value. So the question is, how do I distinguish myself? How do I separate myself? Mm -hmm. Uh, from my competition and and kind of not only take them, but take the, the fee aspect kind of out of the picture. And what we what you, you need to do in this case is to be that additional value, what I call extrinsic value, uh, which is everything outside of just what you do by the very nature of the right of the thing. And so you say, well, okay, so how do I do that? How do I become that additional value and provide such an amazing experience that I just become this person's uh, go-to person and the person they're going to want to refer to others? Well, uh, there are probably dozens, if not hundreds of ways to communicate this additional value, but they tend to come down to five, what we call elements of value. And those elements are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that you can, you can communicate one or more, hopefully all five of those elements at every single touch point from the time you first meet them to the building the relationship, to the actual presentation, to the referral aspect, to the, you know, that's the degree that you will do this. And again, we're still on step one here and I know we want to do a <laughs> I apologize for that, but uh, I'll, I'll do the other ones really, really quickly. But, um, but, you know, I think that the law of value is really, it's the foundational principle. Um, because when you think about it, why are other people doing business with you? And I often, when I speak at a, a sales conference, the first thing I'll say is, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota. <laughs> right? 
They're not going to buy from you because you need the money or have your mortgage payment to be yeah, made or blah, right. blah, blah, or even because you're a really nice person who knows your stuff and has all the designations. They're going to buy from you. And as you said earlier, refer business to you because they believe that in some way they will be better off by doing so than by not doing mm -hmm. so. So I think it really, you know, it comes down to value as that foundational principle. There, there's another um, concept that I'd, I'd love you to relate to that. And that's in the original Go-Giver, um, you know, the, 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 the character Joe talks with Sam, the financial advisor, yeah. and, and, and Sam talks about uh, creating walking ambassadors yes, and uh, people who have a personal investment in seeing the main character succeed. Um, and you, you've discussed the whole idea of walking ambassadors and endless referrals as well. So can, can you relate what you were just talking to, to that whole idea of creating walking ambassadors and, and what things advisors should be thinking about doing if, if they, uh, if they want to have those kinds of folks themselves? Well, you know, we certainly know that it's a lot, it's, you know, it's a lot easier to build your business in a way that's that's rewarding, you know, emotionally as well as financially, um, and that it's easier, and that there's less stress when you have really good people, your clients, who are out there telling others uh, that yes, this is the person you need to be doing business with. I have a I have an I have a financial advisor like that, Phil Blumel, and uh, he does such a fantastic job. I, that I just, you know, I want to tell the world about Phil. I want to tell people about him. And so when people, uh, you know, confide in me what's happening financially, what they need and so forth, I, I, you know, refer them to Phil. Now, not everybody does that because it's not in everybody's nature to be a referral source. Some people just don't, they don't think sure, about it, right? right it's, sure. not, it's not that they don't love you. It's they just don't think about it. It's just not in their DNA that that's uh, but others do. So the people who are the, uh, my friend Rick Hill used to call them nominators. You know, they were, they were just right. people, they wanted to nominate you. They wanted to tell the world about you. Uh, these are the people who, when you have relationships with those people, it just, you know, makes your business a lot more fun, a lot less stressful and a lot more profitable. And, and how, how would an advisor go about cultivating some of those ambassadors? You know, something by being the kind of person who is just worthy of that. And again, I think it, it, it comes to, you know, in Adam Grant's book, give and take, I don't know if you ever read that book. It was a yeah. fantastic uh, book. And, and he told the story or not the story, but he cited a uh, study of Australian financial advisors. And these were, I mean, the cream of the crop. These were the highest producing of the highest producing. And so they they looked at what what was the determining factor? What made them so successful? And, uh, you know, of course, it was uh, you know, financial acumen had, had something to do with it. Very, very important. But again, we also know that is the entry fee in a sense, right? That's the entry level. Uh, they worked hard. Well, again, that makes perfect sense. But none of those, those weren't the determining factor. The difference maker was that these financial advisors placed the interests of their clients ahead of themselves and ahead of the firm. And because of this, they were the people who themselves made the most money, the highest income from serving the most people. So when you have law number two, the law of compensation that says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. Well, that quantity comes from having personal walking ambassadors who are singing your praises. But then we go and what this what what Adams what the study that uh, Adam pointed out really, I think, underlies is that 
Law number three, the law of influence says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Well, so not this is, in a way that's okay. yeah. So this is excuse me. This this is uh, one of those things I really wanted to dig into because I think this is really something that you could help advisors with. Um, you know, there's a, a big conversation uh, or argument going on in, in our industry and has for a while about the fiduciary standard. And uh, meaning that there are, there's a whole, there's a big portion of the, um, of the industry that is not held to the legal standard of putting your client's interest first. And then there are the, the other, the other big group in the industry are the people who have, uh, you know, who have, you know, ad- adopted or, or accepted the legal requirement to put their interest first. And yet many of those folks who, uh, who are even some of the most vocal, uh, advocates of the fiduciary standard oftentimes have trouble um, getting referrals. And so uh, how, how do we, what, what are we missing there? What, what, what's, what's the difference between adopting the legal fiduciary standard and that whole idea of putting your clients first uh, in, in a way that translates into referrals and, and business development? Well, you know, I think in a sense, it's, it's kind of two different areas, although they, they're certainly related. <laughs> um, it, it, to me, I, it's, it's in not, not being directly in the field uh, as a, a financial advisor, uh, to me, to, for there to need to be a legal standard to put your client's interests first, the, you know, that fiduciary, to me, it, it makes business sense to put your client's interests first. It, you know, uh, first of all, I mean, anything that would not be putting your client's interests first at, at, at best, you're going to be ineffective because they're going to know that, at least if they're, you know, um, if they're paying attention. And if they're not, someone's paying attention, which they should be. But right. so but it's it's obviously such good business to place the interest of your your client first, because, again, they're that's why they're doing business with you in terms of how that translates into referrals. Well, obviously, to the degree that you place your client's interests first. And I, I just want to make sure to point out when we say place the other person's interests first, we don't mean that in terms of uh, being a martyr or being self-sacrificial. Right, sure. Uh, right. We just we just mean you understand that it's by placing their interests first, you're doing the best job for them, which ultimately comes back to you in terms of reputation, in terms of continued business, in terms of that next generation doing business with you, in terms of your referability. Uh, but in terms of not receiving referrals, even when you... Um, place their interests first. Again, I think that comes back to not everybody thinks of that. And that's why I'm more for having a more proactive approach to attaining referrals. Well, While there are always <clears throat> going to be those people like me who yeah. go out of their way yeah. to refer people to those that I know, like, and trust and who yeah. I'm grateful yeah. for, there are more people that just aren't going to, and they they need the gentle helpful nudge in order to do that. Well, I also suspect that that when you say um, putting your client's best interest first, you know, I, I think that one of one of the challenges, one of the potential mistakes that advisors make is, is that they talk about that standard and they talk about putting their client's interest first in terms of the products and strategies they recommend. But in the go-giver, you know, it's a much broader concept. And, you know, what, what other ways beyond just the recommendations can, uh, would, would, would you uh, suggest advisors put their clients' interest first? 
Uh, I think it goes back uh, to, you know, aside from the excellence in understanding your, you know, what you do, there's also an excellence in how you make people feel uh, every time at every touch point. And that is whether it's with you or with the people in your office when who answer the phone or it has to do with with getting back. Uh, For example, uh, you know, my my advisor makes himself very available Mm -hmm. to me. Uh, he's going to jump through hoops and, and so forth to, to do something that he shouldn't be doing in terms of getting back. But I know that when I contact him with a question, I'm going to get a response. You know, it's not mm-hmm. going to take a mm-hmm. long time. I'm going to, I feel very secure that way. You know? sure, sure. I, and, and, and so forth. Um, the people I have referred him to, and you know, he handles my whole family. I mean, uh, uh, everybody just loves this guy because of the attention he provides. That's another one of the elements of value. When you're working with Phil, you kind of get the feeling that, you know, your family is the only one he's dealing with. And yet, you know, he's not because he's got a hugely successful practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the empathy he has, uh, again, one of the elements of value. Uh, it's 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 um, understand it, it's it's you know that when you're telling him certain concerns that you have that he's he's feeling that along with you. Now, he may not know exactly how you feel because, again, we don't necessarily know how the other person feels. Sure. But empathy is really more, I think, communicating that you that you understand they're feeling something and that you're not going to stop gently digging until you really grasp the underlying issue they have. So I think it's all those things we can do. And then it's a, a gratitude. It's appreciation. It's It's how you let people know that you really appreciate them, uh, people who who live in that. And, you know, this is a, the, you know, the, a, you know, a chestnut. You know, you hear that attitude of gratitude. Right. It's an old right. saying. Right? <laughs> right. But, but it's old because it's true. When you operate from a sense of gratitude, you are more attractive to others. People want to be around you. People are comfortable with you. People want to do business with you. People are more likely to refer and introduce you to others. So all these things we can do this, I mean, there's no big secret. You're right. You know, and this is why when we talk about the elements of value, excellence, consistency, you know, consistency, so important because as human beings, and this dates back to the cave person days when every day was literally not figuratively, but literally a matter of life and death, right? Surviving the day. Mm -hmm. You had things in your world had to be consistent. You had to know what that bent twig meant or that footprint in the mud meant. And what, well, we don't have those, that's those same challenges today, but it's been hardwired into our DNA. So not only do we want to be consistent and appear that way to others, we demand it with people we do business with. Mm-hmm. We've got to know that you know your your people have to know that the same advisor they talk to one day is the same advisor who's going to show up the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year all these things are what help you place their interests first and be and and cause them to be your personal walking ambassador. And Bob, I just uh, there was a, a couple of the, the the last two laws I'd like to ask you about in particular and it's it's authenticity mm-hmm. and it's receptivity uh-huh. and and as I, I as I read about those I thought absolutely and I, and at the same moment I felt how easy it is for us to lose those things when we've got our head down and we're building a business and we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders and we're just go, go, go. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost was like a, a, a hand up saying, just pause for a moment. And I'd love to know how you see those two laws. 
Well, yeah, it's such a great question because with authenticity, it, 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 the, the, in the story, Deborah, who was the, uh, she was the very successful realtor. And what she shared was that all the, the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, uh, in people skills, as important as they are. And yes, they are very, very important. But as she said, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. But when you do, when you show up as yourself, as we like to say, people feel good about you. They feel comfortable with you. They feel safe with you. They're much more likely to want to be in relationship with you, refer you to others. So it begs the question, if, if showing up as yourself, if showing up authentic, authentically is, is so beneficial, just even for you and your business, why do some people not show up that way, but rather instead as kind of a... Um, I guess the correct Latin term would be phonus balonus, <laughs> uh, you know, not authentically. And who we may default to the idea of, well, they're not, they're just dishonest or they want to pull, you know, that's a big world. There's lots of people out there. We've got to be wary of those types, but that's not usually the case. I'd say 99 times out of a hundred, when someone doesn't seem to show up authentically, it's really a matter of, they don't have the confidence in themselves to show up that way. Because let's face it, it's hard to show up authentically when you don't really um, feel you have anything to show up authentically mm -hmm. for. And that's why it's so important that we understand two types of authentic value that we have. One is just intrinsic authentic value. That's just being a human being. We bring value to the table in and of itself. That's fine. But we also have what I call market value. And I define market value as that combination of strengths, traits, talents, and characteristics that allow you to bring value to others, to the marketplace in such a way that you are well compensated for it. And we all have these. We all have our strengths and those talents. But what happens is because we're human beings, we're so emotionally close to ourselves that we often can't see it. And that's why it's so important to be able to have someone, whether they're a coach uh, that's, that you're um, paying to help you or someone at the office or a mentor or, you know, wh whomever, someone who knows you well enough that they can help you to really see those, the, that greatness that you have, that market value, those things, those strengths that, that you do so very well, but they're not so close to you that they also can't see. You know, because they, they're too emotionally involved with you. So, right, sure. Um, yeah, when we really understand our strengths, then we can lead with them. And that's when we tend to lead authentically. We show up as ourselves because we understand uh, that, that we ourselves bring great value to the table. So, um, Julie and Bob, I know that we're already well over time, but there's at least one other how-to question I'd like to ask, if that's okay with you two. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Before we wrap up. And one of the things that you talk about in your books, Bob, is is planting seeds of referrals. So before we wrap up, can you give us that sort of that sort of practical advice on on uh, what planting seeds is and how advisors can do it? Well, this is just within the the presentation itself, or it, it, it may be, let's say somebody uh, calls you and when they do, maybe you just, uh, you know, one of the things you ask is, oh, were you referred to me by one of my, you know, valued clients? 
and uh, you know if they haven't offered that first. And what it does is right there, that kind of plants a seed that you operate from referrals or when you're in the first initial consult with them and they ask you a question and uh, you know the, the, your response might be just kind of framed with, you know, it's a wonderful question. In fact, just recently, uh, one of my newer clients uh, asked me that question and it's such a good, such a good one. And now you kind of rephrase the question a little bit and now you give the answer. But what you do, of course, this, this assumes that you were asked that question. Um, and when you do that, what you're doing is you've just uh, framed the answer within the, uh, within a referral mindset. Okay. Um, uh, again, later on in the, in the, uh, uh, presentation. And again, let's just say or within the interview, let's just say that an objection comes up and uh, again, you congratulate them on the question, on the objection. You turn that question into an, uh, that objection into a question or concern. And you say, that's a question that many of my, uh, clients asked before they became clients. In other words, their concern was what if blah, 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 blah. And it's a great concern. It's a, it's a concern that's very worthy. And here's what we've boom. And now you answer the question. But when you did that, you simply framed it, uh, by planting the seed of referral that this is how you do business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. So, Julie, anything else do you want to ask before we wrap up? No, I think that's great. I think we're really, I mean, it's so interesting because you're, we talk about referrals yeah. tactically, but you're really getting under the skin of that a little on kind of on the becoming referable side. Uh, but but I was glad you asked that last question, which is more about how do we transition to that to referrals. So thank you uh, so much. Yeah. And, and Bob, thank you. You know, there's there, I, Julie knows I've got, you know, another page and a half of questions I'd, I'd really love to ask you, but you know, it, <clears throat> we were only able to get you for our, our little half hour interview, but you know, I think everybody should, uh, should read the Go-Giver series. Uh, you know, it's, it's, as you said, they're parables. And I was telling you before that that can be kind of a tricky thing to pull off without, without, uh, poor storytelling, but you guys do it really well. And, and it's a great series Thank of books. So if people want to learn more about what you do and, and the go-giver philosophy, where should they find you? Probably the best place is just to go to the go giver without the hyphen.com. And, uh, on that page, there's all, all sorts of goodies. And one of the things they can do is, is read chapter one, chapter two, and excerpts from the different books to see if they like where they're heading. Then they can always click through to uh, purchase if they like. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being a giver this morning and, and sharing some of your some of your insights with us. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and uh, we're really grateful for you uh, having the time to join us today. Thank you both so much. Thank I you. enjoyed it immensely. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.